Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Good morning. How are you? I love you. I'm so glad to see you. And, and on Christmas morning, of all things, on Christmas morning, and I was talking to some friends earlier this week, and I said, we spend so much time trying to help our families understand the priority of worship and the priority of spiritual family and the priority of being in church. And, and there are gymnastics meets that we haven't gone to. There are soccer tournaments that we don't participate in. There are all kinds of things that we don't participate if they conflict with church on Sunday. And many of us had this debacle this year that we do every few years. What happens when the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus is the same day we worship the Jesus we're celebrating? And, and what do we do? And, and I'm just so proud of you as your pastor that you would choose to be with us in service. Thank you. How I many of you know Jesus is the reason for the season? And uh, my three-year-old had a birthday uh, just a few weeks ago. And his birthday was not on the day that we, was convenient for us to celebrate. So we moved his birthday and we celebrated his birthday on a day that wasn't his actual birthday. Anybody done that before? Yeah. That's kind of what we're doing now. I don't know what your family morning traditions are. Um, our family's going to be doing our Christmas family traditions uh, after, after service today. But all that to say, thank you so much uh, for being in church. And if I drink all of this tea while we're talking, don't be, don't be jealous. It doesn't taste good at all. Uh, it's just helping my throat. I want to, uh, yeah, you like the new idea. I want to start today with a rather humorous story. Y'all got time for a story? Yeah, the fog had rolled in thick. Visibility was near zero. Even a ship that size was indistinguishable as it faded into the thick clouds that seemed to float on top of the water. The air was wet and cold. And despite being the middle of the night, everything visible from the deck seemed an eerie gray, the moonlight illuminating the fog that surrounded them. What little light the moon did provide that night made things worse, it seemed. The captain was on the bridge when the ensign noticed a faint glow straight ahead. They were in the middle of a training exercise in international waters off the coast of Newfoundland, but the captain was surprised to see another vessel out in weather like this. The captain jumps on the radio, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The response from the light, still faint in the distance over the radio, came back like this. It said, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The captain replied, this is a captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. No, I say again, Divert your course, came back over the radio. Now, the captain was not used to this level of insubordination, and it emboldened him to reply sternly, this is the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Silence for a few moments. Perhaps he had gotten his point across, and the reply came across the radio. Um, this is a lighthouse. Your call. 
Your call, Lighthouse, American Destroyer. How many of you realize that what you see can make all the difference in how you live? What you see, and when, when it's one thing to try to pilot a vessel blindly, it's another to try to live your life blind spiritually, unable to see where you're headed. And my hope today on this Christmas Sunday is that God himself would help us open any blind eyes to be able to see him clearly and see what he has for us. In my family, we have a Christmas tradition. Um, every year we sit down as a family before any of the gifts are open, and we open the Bible and we read the Christmas story, the account of Jesus' birth in Scripture. And I don't know and I want to take for granted in here, in this room here today, is, 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 are people that have read that story, or you probably know it from movies and things that you've heard and stories and all of that, but I want to start this service today, and I want to read that Christmas story for anybody in here that hasn't read it specifically from Scripture. We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 2, and it follows, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, verse 3, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at, the shepherd, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's a wonderful story. Jesus, born of a virgin, affirmed by God, celebrated to come. God in the flesh, the long-awaited Savior and Christ the Lord who came and lived among us. Now, as I grew in my faith and my understanding of Scripture, I realized that that story, as neat as the story is, doesn't start there. And you may say, well, Pastor John, what do you mean? That the story of Jesus doesn't start with his birth? It actually doesn't. The story of Jesus starts way before Joseph was ever visited by an angel. It starts way before they ever rode to Bethlehem. It starts way before there was never any room at the inn. And the disciple John would begin the story this way. I want you to follow me as we talk about the Christmas story. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life that was the light of the men. Life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. And what does that say? It dwelt among us. It dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Apostle Paul would weigh in in his letter to the Colossians and would say this, verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Think about that for just a second. I'm talking about being able to see things and the way you see things changes the way you live. Christ himself is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things, what? Things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Do you know that there are things that you can't see with your eyes? Doesn't mean they're not real. You just can't see them with your physical eyes. I remember Billy Graham for years talking about the existence of God and how do I know there's a God if I can't see him? And Billy Graham said, well, you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. You, you don't go around saying just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. How many of you realize there are things that we cannot see with our eyes? And that's a problem. That's a problem. It says God is real. Heaven and hell is real. People still go there. And despite all of this overwhelming evidence and the proof that God does exist, many people are hung up on this one fact spiritually, and I want to talk about that today. John 1.18 says it this way, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. That's a problem. That's a problem for you, and I, how am I supposed to know God is real if I can't see him? How am I supposed to know what he's like? How am I supposed to know him? Is, is he mad at me? How, how do I know? What does he think of me? If I can't see God, can I know him? Remember, what you can see will make all the difference in how you live. But Pastor Don, what, is, what does this have to do with Christmas? What does this have to do with, with the Christmas story? Where's the all is calm, all is bright? I didn't come here thinking about this. Listen, because what you cannot see is precisely why God sent Jesus into this world. What you cannot see is precisely what, why God sent his son Jesus into this world. Look at John, verse, or John chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to finish what we just read. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. Look at this. He has revealed God to us. That's huge. That's huge to think that we couldn't see God and what we can't see will affect the way we live. God said, I got it. I'm going to send you Jesus and he will reveal the Father to us. So what do you mean? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. 
If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. If you know what Jesus is like, you know what God is like. God sent Jesus to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And he sent his son so that you and I would know what God himself was like. Can I tell you, God's not hiding from you. He's not hiding, waiting till some moment when you, when you do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that to reveal himself to you. God loves you so much, he has already sent his son to reveal to you everything you need to know about God. It is embodied in his son Jesus. Everything that God is, is on full display in his son Jesus. I mean, you know, that's good news. That's good news for us. 1 John 1 through 3, look how personal John describes this relationship with Jesus. He says, we proclaim to you. I don't know what that noise is either. It's a good question. Maybe if I be really still, it won't come back. What do you think? Want to try it? We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we've heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And I don't know that I could tell you how fully important this is to my own life. I don't think it can be understated. Remember, nobody has seen God, and what you see will impact the way you live. Listen, if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. All of the miracles all of the stories, all the interactions that the Bible reveals to us tell us through Jesus exactly what God is like. It was weighty on me when I became a father for the first time because I, I know the statistics, I know what they say, and, and a child's first picture of God is often a result of his father. Fathers have the ability to demonstrate an authority and a, and a care and a compassion in a way that, that mothers don't, and many people myself included, grow, grew up with this understanding of God based on how our fathers were. Your father was probably different than mine. I grew up for most of my childhood with a single mom. My father was incarcerated for some things that he had done that uh, we won't talk about here in church. And uh, I realized early on that, man, I thought God was distant. I thought he was waiting until I did something or earned something or approved something. And, and it messed me up early to try to think that, man, who is God? What is God like? How many of you have, have thought to yourself, I will never be like him when I grow up? Yeah, I had those thoughts. And here's the problem when you think that way. Let me help you for a second. If you say, I will never be like him. I won't do the things that he does. I won't, I won't go there. I won't do that. Maybe it's not your father. Maybe it's your mother. I'll never be like her. And you keep reminding yourself and reminding yourself and reminding yourself and reminding yourself. And that phrase, that thought, who he is, becomes the most important thing in your eyes. And what ends up happening to somebody who says, I will never be like him? Who do they end up becoming? Just like him. Can I tell you, Scripture has a better way for us 
It says this, fix your eyes on Jesus. And say, I will be like him. I will be like him. I will be like him. My earthly father was like this, but Jesus is like this. I will be like him. And if you keep your eyes focused on that, the thing that is before your eyes will be the biggest thing in your life. God knew you needed an example of what he was like, so he sent the most heavenly example that could still be earthly present in his son Jesus to be with you. So you and I don't have to wonder what God is like, and there's not a person in here that was shortchanged because you grew up without a father in your house. Jesus himself came, and God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. Are y'all following me this Sunday morning in the middle of this? If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. Well, Pastor Don, is, is God approachable? Can I really just go to him with whatever? Well, what's Jesus like? When we open our Bibles, when we read scripture, I see wealthy and poor. I see religious and not religious. I see those that have everything going for them and those that don't have anything going for them. Even children run up to Jesus. How many of you know God is approachable because Jesus was approachable and Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God? Is God mad or angry with me over my sin? I don't know. Was Jesus mad and angry with the sinners that he encountered? I remember reading a story where they caught a woman in the physical act of adultery and they brought her before Jesus. This is Jesus, the law says that we need to stone this woman. What do you say? And I would have expected Jesus would have gotten mad. This is the Son of God. That is sin, blatant as it is. And yet in the middle of that story, in the middle of that interaction, he kneels down and starts writing on the sand. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, all of those religious people drop their stones and they left. And I love this part. It's just Jesus and this woman. Her barrenness, her brokenness on full display before him. Her sin as real and palpable as it ever could be. And Jesus looks at her and says, where are your condemners? Where are those who wish to punish you? She says, well, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Did he say that what she was doing was not sin? Answer, no, he didn't. But he said, where you're headed is much more important than where you've been. And I don't think that the very son of God would have told her to go and sin no more if it wasn't possible. What's God like? Is he mad and angry at me over my sin? Well, if Jesus is fully God on display for us, then I would say God's looking at you and saying, hey, what you think is sin is sin, and you're right, but where you're headed is much more important than where you've been. Go and sin no more. God wants to have a relationship with you, and he sent Jesus to you to show you what God was like because we can't see him otherwise. Is God just wanting to punish me? 
Did Jesus come to punish? No. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Can I tell you how powerful this is? When the enemy tries to lie to me about who God is, all I have to do is just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. This is who Jesus was like. I can look at his son and I'll know exactly who God is and what he thinks about me. And when I've seen Jesus, I've seen God, and that makes all the difference in my life. Look how this works. I don't want to belabor this point, but I need you to understand we don't have to wonder about our relationship with God. Will God forgive me? Did Jesus forgive sinners? So will God forgive me? Does God himself demand perfection? Well, how does Jesus deal with the imperfection of humanity? Just look at his disciples. How did he deal with them? With grace and compassion. If Jesus didn't demand perfection from those he walked with, does God demand perfection from us? Answer? No. Christmas is the story of how we couldn't see God. And so God sent the fullness of himself in Jesus to live among us, to dwell with us, and to ultimately die for us. I had a Sunday school teacher uh, tell us a story. I was little, and she said, here, here was the story. She said, hey, Jesus, a child asks, how much does God love us? She said, this is how Jesus responded, this much. And then he died. As far as the east is from the west, Scripture tells us, so far your sins have been removed for you. The blood of Jesus washes us white as snow. You wouldn't know that about God if he hadn't sent Jesus to us. Romans 5.8 tells us this, but God shows his love, not your love, his love, not what you've done, not what you've measured up to, not what you've accomplished or haven't done. I haven't done this despite everything, nothing like that, nothing from your family or your past or your history. God demonstrates and shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. I'm sure you know John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever, that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. How many of you knew John 3, 16? Do you know verse 17 and verse 18? They're so good and just as important. Look at this. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. There is no judgment. Look at my face. There is no judgment for anyone who believes in Jesus. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The disciple John was telling us about that Christmas story when he said this in chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. He came into the very world he created. That's Christmas. God came into the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. What they didn't see affected the way that they lived. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Look at this. They are reborn. 
They are reborn. What is reborn? They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Those that believe in Jesus are reborn. Not from a birth that comes from man, but a birth that comes from God himself. Have you been reborn? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Again, you can't see God. So he had to send Jesus to you so that you could see him and know what God was like. And I want to ask you this question. Do you know what God is like? Would you like to know what God is like? I want to invite everybody to bow your head and close your eyes and just listen to my voice. I don't want to take for granted and assume that you're in church on a Christmas Sunday because you've had that born-again experience, that you've been reborn. This is Christmas. God with us. God sent his son Jesus so we could see exactly what God is like. God in the flesh who dwelt among us Fully God, yet fully man. And all who believe in his son, that Jesus is the son of God, sent to show you and I what God is like, to those people are given the right to be children of God. Have you been given the right to be a child of God, to spend eternity with him? Those who believe aren't perfect, and then they're chosen. They're imperfect and then empowered to live differently. What they see changes the way they live. It's from the inside out, from the present forward, not from the past measured to today. God's not looking at your past in order to determine your future. He sent Jesus to show you he's the kind of God that no matter where you were, he can take you where you need to be. Jesus was having a conversation just like this with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he said this. He said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. Unless you've been born again. Pastor Don, how do I know if I've been born again? How do I know if the Holy Spirit has opened my eyes, as you talked about earlier, to see Jesus for who he has opened my eyes to be able to see who God is because of Jesus. Well, I'll tell you very three simple, very ways. Letter, letter A, B, and C will help you know if God has done that in your heart. A, admit. You'd be able to admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from a righteous and a loving God. That apart from some divine intervention, you would have to pay for the debt that your sin has created. You, you wouldn't be able to admit that if God hasn't done something in your heart to reveal Jesus to you. Letter B, believe. Believe that Jesus is God's son sent to us to pay a price you and I couldn't pay, to live a life you and I couldn't live so that you and I could spend eternity with heaven, in heaven with our Father. You wouldn't be able to admit and you wouldn't be able to believe if God hadn't done that in your heart. Letter C, confess. Confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. And when you're struggling, Savior's the easy part. Help me, God, I need help. But it's the Lord part that's the challenge. It's 
God, your ways are better. Your ways are higher. I'm going to live it your way. I'm tired of living it on my own. God, if you'll help me, if you'll send me Jesus, I can see what you're like by looking at Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me? I want to be born again. I want to experience that rebirth that you're talking about. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front. But how cool would it be that the very day we celebrate God sent Jesus to us is the day your eyes were opened to see him and to see God in all of his fullness. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me to be born again? I'm going to ask you to lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with all around this room right now. Why don't you go ahead and lift your hand? Nobody's looking around. I just want to see who I'm praying with. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Looking in the balcony. Yes, I see your hand. Let me put your hands down. I'm going to invite those of you that raised your hand. God's shown you. You're born again. This prayer I'm going to pray isn't, isn't what makes you be born again. It just acknowledges what God has already done in your heart. But I'm going to invite all of us to pray this prayer together, especially those of you that raised your hand. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare, God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen.